You are listening to a podcast of Ice and Fire, episode 227 for the week of February 4th, 2018. Welcome back to the longest running podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire series and occasionally HBO's Game of Thrones. As usual, this is Amin. And this is Kyle. And uh, this week we're doing a little uh, special show. We're talking about Game of Thrones again. And we're having our on a guest host, uh, Dragon Demands, with a dragon. How are you doing, Dragon? <laughs> Doesn't do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations. That's right. <laughs> I'm one of the administrators from Game of Thrones Wiki. I've been moonlighting making documentary videos on YouTube about stuff I've researched. That's right. Yeah, you are on that on the wiki. I, d- I didn't know that until I looked it up later. I first just saw your video on Stannis, being a Stannis fan myself. One hour video plus, or was it three hour? It was a very long video. It was a two hour video. Two hour video on Stannis why it went wrong. I, I, I took a look at it and I found it really interesting because I find, uh, as we'll get into it, you look at a lot of material out there about the show that uh, a lot of people aren't aware of. Or it's, not just, well, it's not just my opinions. It's I'm citing research from looking at Blu-ray commentaries and interviews, stuff I already knew from the wiki based on just years of gradually accumulated sourced information. And I realized I need to share this with more people to get it when you start looking at all and cross-referencing it, and I'm surprised more people don't do this. Um, offline, I'm, uh, I, I have an MA in medieval history, so I'm used hmm. to writing cited research. Not, I'm not an English major. I'm not looking to interpret it like death of the author style. So, and also, well, wikis attract history majors. That when you're writing on a wiki, yeah, they can be biased, but you have to at least cite, like Benioff said this, Martin said this. Why did he do something? I'm not doing a close reading. So a lot of the, if you're, oh, I'm not going to sit down for a two-hour documentary. It's not just my opinions. Those, those are in there. It's, these are interviews they said that the mainstream news didn't report on because they're a bunch of show-up. Okay, we're starting to lose you again there, but we, we, got, it, we got to the, to the end point here. And I think I'm going to, I mean, I want to ask you, but I just want to go over why we're talking about it because I think a lot of us that, that, that watch the show have got burned out. We, we kind of just, I mean, we don't like to, we might just, you either, you, you either like the show or you get burned out of it. And, and if you get burned out, you don't analyze it very well. So I'm think- not a book purist. Yeah. I like Lord, like when Lord of the Rings movies came out, I was a hardcore book fan who thought this is a good adaptation despite, you know, obviously there's a flaw here or there. When this came out, we extended them the same courtesy and we got burned, and it, there is such, it's not book fans versus TV fans, there's such thing as a good book adaptation, they made a bad one, and the reason I'm so angry is the sense of betrayal that I defended them for four seasons, and then season five happened, and it's, you are the crazy person, I was defending, that. I was telling people you're not like that, and that happened to a lot of people, I mean, I know there's book purists who never touched even season one, and I get that, but it's, they're trying to say, oh, our critics are just people who want a perfect book adaptation. There's no such thing. It's TV Dorn, Stannis, Talissa. No, these are, as a TV critic, there are problems with this that have nothing to do with the books. Going forward, I mean, like, the show is almost done, but the question is what's going to happen with the universe and other adaptations? Yeah, they did. be allowed to I happen again, is the question. Worry did first, you know, they said we've got five prequel ideas. Obviously, we're only going to work on one at a time, but this is going to be a franchise. And they're not stupid. They know we have to announce the next project before the first one ends. So things are going to move forward. And just after season five, we were just stunned. It's okay. Bad things happen. What are we going to do going into the prequel era? Um, Cogman is still in control. 
until someone at HBO says Benioff and White, I think Cogman would do what they tell him on a phone, even if they don't have official capacity through their production company. It's all complicated with lawyers, but the, the point is, even if they personally aren't attached, what if there's someone out there totally unrelated to Benioff, Weiss, or Cogman who's just as bad as they are? The Brett Ratners of the world hmm. who will screw up another thing, and we have to make sure maybe we shouldn't have had no writer's room. Uh, Elio pointed that out. There was never a writer's roundtable discussions or like Lucasfilm's story exists to answer uh, mythos questions. They have none of that. Well, losing you again, too. <laughs> You're cutting out again. But what I want to ask you about specifically, because I think you, you make a very interesting point. Uh, this is all Sorry. Uh, no, it's okay. That, that, that applies, because uh, we're just, we're going to talk about a couple of your key main points, and then we'll direct people to their videos, your videos, if they want to see more about it. But yes. the, the main point that I saw, that I think applies to, and we can apply to Stannis and to Dorne and go through it, is this whole concept of emoting versus acting. Can you give us a little bit uh, about that? Uh, well, it, this is a 10-minute speech, but it's the core of what I came out to say. Sure. The tale of Scrody McBoogerballs. <laughs> is your middle am... name Chase, by the way? That's a reference. <laughs> the tale of Scrody McBoogerballs is an episode of South Park from season 14 of South Park in which the boy... Have you seen it? No, I have I not. Have, I have not. <laughs> oh, um, it was South Park making fun of pop culture interpretation. Hmm. And it's season 14, episode 2. And the idea is they read The Catcher in the Rye, and everyone tells them it's full of dirty language, and it, but it's full of deep ideas and meaning. And they read it and go, we don't see any good themes in this, and the cursing is relatively tame. We can write a better banned book. And the joke is, they write it as a gag book, purely with the intention of writing things so disgusting, like someone po pooping out their nose. Or The point is, you never even hear what the whole book is, because it's so obscene that mm. no one can go one sentence without throwing up. And their parents find it, and think. And the joke is, the parents think it's this amazing auteur indie book that's raw, <laughs> like holding coffee, and they don't understand that the boys are saying, this is a gag book. It has no meaning. Mm. We intend death of the author is what they're making fun of. And the point is, they blame it on Butters because they don't want to get in trouble for cursing, and then Butters <laughs> actually hogs all the credit. <laughs> and he becomes a New York Times bestseller. And oh my God! Everyone th and everyone's reading just—it's just a string of profanity and and grotesqueness. And everyone's reading meanings into it. There's a surreal moment where the boys go into a bookstore, and someone goes, "Well, the point when the the woman eats a poop is obviously in uh, pro-abortion," and a guy <laughs> standing next to her goes. It was obviously anti-abortion, that specific scene. And the boys are sitting there going, it wasn't pro, it wasn't anti, I was just making an obscene comment. <laughs> pop culture critic in English majors who are, how much of the internet has turned to everyone with a blog or a Tumblr or a YouTube account or a Reddit channel is a, oh, I'm a critic. Have you gone to film school where you can judge the cinematography? There is an actual profession of being a critic in the Roger Ebert sense, that they are—they're just reading their own interpretations into it. And yeah, as absolutely. a historian, like I—I I think this is my training: is don't assume you know their value set. Don't assume. Oh, this is—you're not an English major. You're trying to find out why the writer said that. 
No. All right, let's take a break. Let's take a pause for just <laughs> pause a second while your audio your comes in. <laughs> I know it's like your it's like your electronics get get a little tired, and we give it a little break, and then yeah. <laughs> and then you can start over, and then it's good for like right. a couple minutes. Yeah, all right. So uh, the point is, maybe we could never. Just it felt so helpless through season five. Not just what they were changing in Game of Thrones, but it was incomprehensible. Why is this happening? And the answer is maybe we could never figure out what they're doing because they're stupider than us. Maybe hmm. this was us reading meanings into what Benny Offenweiss are trying to do that don't exist. Mm-hmm. They're con men who work their way into running a TV show and don't understand television. And I've seen even the point is even people hate the show. Ah, Alaria killed Duran. Clearly, they think revenge is good, and they don't think revenge is anything. We were reading interpretations into that. Mm. Yes, I think and, that's when you were listening to our chat. Like, we, we might be saying they made the wrong choice here, uh, interpretation or something, whereas they're just bumbling around, is what you're saying, basically. They're, it's not like they're even making a, 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 a logical choice. They're just kind of going with their gut feeling or just... The most and, acting thing, like just they're just choosing actors that they like to how they look and how they're exactly. Acting. And what I found out when I actually sat down and watched all the Blu-ray commentary and all the interviews because I had a list of changes they'd made. Hmm. Um, a thing even Linda has fixated on in Elio is creatively it made sense to us because we wanted it to happen, which means oh they're doing stuff at whim. That isn't why they're doing things. There is a pattern. It, it's just it's like with serial killers that it's not random. There is a pattern that makes sense to them, even though it's not rational to us. So, am I still? Is my audio cutting yep, out? You're good now. So, well, to explain it chronologically, I gave them through season six because they kept saying, "Don't worry, it'll go somewhere." And even after season five, I hadn't quite given up hope because I thought, "Okay, there were production problems. Maybe it wasn't their fault for Dorn." Or even, okay, Sansa's... They kept saying, don't judge Sansa until it's over. And then mm. Sansa did not defeat Ramsay. John did. Then uh, Elaria killed Duran and a bunch of other stuff that had no payoff. So it was after season six that, you know, I'm busy with the wiki stuff and other things. Yep. I finally sat down and watched the Blu-ray commentary for season five. And the other thing is I kept assuming if there was something in this, someone would have reported on it. And there's shit in there no one has ever reported on because they are protecting Benioff and Weiss because they wow. say ending things in them. Bizarre, career-ending things. Specifically, I encourage all of your listeners to listen to... Because they only record... Each set of writers only records one episode per year that Benioff and Weiss recorded one for episode 10 and Cogman recorded one for episode 6, the rape episode. That's two episodes, two hours of your life, and suddenly you're in control again because you realize what they've been doing this whole time. And I'm telling everyone to do that. And on my YouTube channel, I'm starting to make finally make clips of these showing what they're doing. So I get out episode 10, pen and paper in hand to take notes about any time they mention story-making decisions. Well, why did we do this with Stannis? Door, killing Marcella. And I went a full hour and my page was that the entire hour, and I know that you can't verbalize this in a, in a video clip, the entire hour is them praising the cast members. Really? And Jeez. not just that, but recounting in season five the story of how they cast season one actors. Wow, look, there's Samuel Tarley. Remember what it was like when we cast him? He was great. And 
Uh, hard-hitting stuff. 40 minutes into this, you start, like 20 minutes, you're like, yeah, they're get, not getting to the point. It gets <laughs> you, that you realize if you pay attention, it's what they're not saying. They're not describing story things. It's just when he's going, wow, look how powerful Theon is in this scene when he's crying helplessly. Or Stannis is frowning so much, and you realize, holy Christ, they're writing the actors. Hmm. That the other thing, have you ever seen that YouTuber Preston Jacobs? I've heard that name before. It's this joke he has that the casual fans are running like TV fan sites, the people who praise it as genius. He calls them Chad Summerchild. That's his joke name. <laughs> casual fans. And he, he does this in his thing where, and it, you've seen this online, people praising, wow, this was such a powerful scene during the white hunt. And it's, it's just close-ups of Kit Harrington's face emoting heavily. Yep. With a stern face. And I don't think we ever had to verbalize, what did we think Benny Off and Weiss were doing? That they were uh, that as if they were two tiers, and on the top tier they were writing this really grim, dark Westeros, and on the bottom tier were their fans who didn't really get all the dark stuff and were just liking it as a celebrity culture. The reality is there is no distinct. They weren't sitting around writing a grim, dark Westeros, and they are very much Chad Summerchild. They are their fans, and he often wise are the people you see on forums or Twitter who are just mindlessly. I call it the drama equivalent of laugh track. I mean that seriously. The music is swelling and the camera's focusing on a character. Surely this must be yep. drama. And it's this is Sophie Turner making a serious face. This isn't if you make a list of their because on a wiki I need to make a list of their narrative actions written down on face. Mm. I'm just going to butt in for a second to give your audio yeah. a chance. I mean, you're, you're making some good points here. We just don't want to lose you. <laughs> yeah, we de- yeah, so definitely don't want to lose you. So am I clear now? Yeah, it should be good. Yeah. So to continue. If you actually sit down and watch the Blu-ray commentary, they inordinately focus on actors' faces. And this is another thing Elio and Linda pointed out that I say in the Stannis video. Um, they thought, well, they couldn't think of anything for Stannis to say in his death scene. So they just, they noticed they increasingly have dialogue with scenes. And they said, because they can't, they did wanted something crazy and can't think of what they should say. And it's, they are trying to make dialogue with scenes. That is the goal. They don't think like we do. They are not intelligent enough. They are not on our level. It's they think Kit Harrington is mugging a face with no dialogue. That's the punchline. That Stannis making a frowny face was the point that they worked backwards from. Linus working backwards. That they weren't trying to make this big dramatic Stannis death scene and then have Stannis the character say something. It exists to show him off. Now, if some of your readers or listeners are worried, in the past year, you know, I said all this in videos leading up to season seven. Then it came out, and in the uh, inside the episode videos week by week, particularly the first and second week, that you could see them cooing over Daenerys arriving on Dragonstone has no dialogue. And I'd get people in my comment sections going, Dear God, you're right. And you're like, once you, someone points it out, you, because we, you know, it goes over our head as fluff praise, we ignore it. It was always there. Yeah, but once it's pointed out, then... They focus on, they are trying to make dialogue with scenes, and there was even this point for Battle of the Bastards, there's this little clip, I have a video on the Battle of the Bastards, where Weiss goes, it's got minimal dialogue in it. It was a point (laughs) I realized, you are trying to just show off the actors crying or making a stern face, and 
I have videos on my website, uh, on my YouTube channel, one of which is Cogman from the middle of season seven, explaining, and it's bizarre, and it's like two minutes long, saying, I know Alfie Allen so well for almost 10 years that I can write a scene containing no dialogue, but you see, I'm responsible for that, for his performance, nonverbal, because I wrote subtext. When we actually got our hands on scripts, like for the season six finale, Daenerys, when she glares at a slaver, it, it, their scripts are filled with these bizarre, hyper-specific uh, uh, instructions for their facial acting. Like, yeah. quote, Daenerys shoots him a look that says, no mother effer, my reign of terror has just begun. <laughs> like, specify to me how someone does that. It's like, <laughs> I'm sure the actors take it and they look at it and they're just like... Yeah. What like, the hell? It's what like, kind of look is that? And then they're in the mirror for like an evening trying to figure out what the hell's going on. You know, like in Zoolander where each look is the same, do the Magnum, do the other one. It's Even the Stannis actor you know, was brave enough to say, I have no idea why my character is doing this. And yes. that isn't subtext. You have to know why they're doing it. So the difference between emoting and acting, I mean, the technical, I go through this, talk about this more in the Stannis video, is if an actor doesn't know why their character is, is doing something, by definition, they are not even acting. They're yeah. emoting. The acting isn't just like when people are such a good actor. This is crying really hard. Acting is, you know, there's different schools, but it's. Oh, wait, we're, we're losing, you, we're losing it. And as you pause, I'm going to summarize some of the things you yeah. said as we're talking about acting versus emo emoting and also leading into the, the fact that they chose to focus on particular uh, characters because they liked the actor. They seem to blur yes. the lines between the two, right? Yeah, so let me speed up here. Sure. That this is why they're not winning acting awards because hmm. professional actors who vote in acting award, you know, Tyrion won for in season one for a scene straight from the books, but jazzing up Dorn or Sansa, they weren't even nominated because people can tell this is Emmy dating, bad Emmy dating. Like actors, have, the film industry has been awards baiting for decades. They are good at it, better than many off and they can recognize it when they see it. So, truly, they're not, and I would actually feel more relieved if they were cynically trying to do this to win Emmy Awards. They actually think this is good writing, good drama. Like, And it's not just for major characters who could win awards. What really convinced me is minor characters. Remember Ollie? Yeah, yep. What's I your do. favorite Ollie line? When My they favorite... Say, when Ollie has such a big relationship with Jon Snow, what's their favorite line between each other? I can't. I can't think of it. I can't think of it. Doesn't talk. They turned him into a recurring role because the boy can make a good stink face. <laughs> Even when he dies. Which case, what? Even when he's dying, I guess he's focused on his face. That's true. He had he a big stink face while he's dying. But he he doesn't talk to Jon Snow. So it's minor characters who could never plausibly win Emmy Awards are doing this too. Hmm. And so let me get to the point that watch those two things. And the first one was Benny Off and Weiss just ranting about, look at that face. And the other thing I noticed was they keep using, look how powerful Stannis is in this scene where he's dying. And you realize that the character is weak. He's saying, look at that strong emoting. Look at that. They use strong and powerful as so, such generic Oh, we've completely lost you now. <laughs> He's gone. So, <laughs> you're back. Continue. Sorry about all this for the editing, but the yeah. point is, strong emoting and powerful is what they're describing because it's not even acting. 
and it's a generic synonym. So then when you get to the Brian Cogman one, there's points when during the rape stuff he's saying, well, this is such a powerful scene, and that's why we did it. And, quote, we did it for these performances and these faces. He almost breaks down crying at points. If you've only seen a transcript, that does not reflect it. And there comes a point, which no one reported on, where this is during the part where the dress is being ripped, and he goes, you know, people say Sansa was shoehorned in Theon's redemption arc. Theon and Sansa are both strong players in season five. And I just did a double take. And in the video that I have on my YouTube channel of the one him talking about Theon's face, he also talks about Marjorie, about her being in a prison cell with the High Sparrow. Are you, is he gone, Kyle? Are we, have we lost hmm. him again? Sorry. Uh, it's just cutting I, out and I, we're missing your just, point. Like, we, yeah. want, we don't want to miss your point. You, you were talking about Marjorie. And, uh, and sounds like people they call our players, but aren't really, right? They use player as a generic synonym for, it just, it went from, look how strong this person is because they're crying really hard on cue to, they're a strong player. And there's a video I'm going to post, well, I can't repost it, it's on HBO, it's season four, Martin himself said, players are people who can move other pieces, hmm. influence other people to do what they don't want to do. Like, that's mm -hmm. what Sansa being a player is, manipulating the veil. Not, and they think she's literally a player for crying on you, and he's not lying. He doesn't know the difference anymore. They're living in a bubble. Yes, man. But when, why did you think, and I have videos of this, of, and also my channel, of Sophie Turner going, well, you know, Sansa goes from pawn to player in season five. Like, what? But they genuinely chatted her up and leave. Yeah. Sansa's big, he realized player is their word not a lot of screen time yeah i remember i remember seeing those videos with uh with sophie about why saying that and we mystified over this and made up our own rationalizations why was cattle and stark crying so much since season one at Ooh. the time we all i myself i'm not blaming other people scrody mcbooger balls it and said <laughs> well clearly this is, i read into it i went Clearly, and with no citations or research, I didn't look up any author statements. I'm not sure I understand. Sorry, that was Siri. Whoa, hey, Siri, what's up? <laughs> I my phone in my hand, sorry. So, Cattle and Stark was crying hard because they like showing off that Michelle Fairley can cry hard on cue. Hmm. And we kept thinking, oh, this is to make her sympathetic because she doesn't like John. That's us reading into it. So, yeah. up to and including the Sansa rate, did every major, I didn't, I went, read it to hear their thoughts on it, and I realized every major change that has ever been made in the TV series is explained by this. There aren't a lot of small changes. There is one big change or pattern of people, like with a serial killer, where it's, they're not thinking far in advance, but they follow the same pattern. We're losing you again, so uh, uh, we let you pause. I'm going to say that I think what you're doing that's different from a lot of people, including us. Is a lot of us may, may look at symptoms that have, uh, you know, symptoms of a disease that have annoyed us with the show. But you're basically uh, diagnosing the actual disease or the source of the symptoms, the actual disease that's caused this. The actual once Benioff becomes predictable, he isn't scary anymore. That the, the power. <laughs> no, really, it's the power he had over us was learned helplessness that we couldn't even understand what he was doing. And ha ha, all the TV shown going, you and all of your book analysis, that you're powerless, that rational thought can't overcome this. But uh, it, it made poet, poetic justice to me that just by applying rational analysis to this harder and more than I thought I, I could, 
yeah, there are reasons this is happening. That he is just, like season one, we were going, wow, I hope they don't cast a bunch of celebrities and then just turn it into pandering the actors in their own roles. It turned into that, because Kit Harrington is a star now. Hmm. So, with growing horror, because I remember this, I had a list on the wiki, a page I deleted since, called List of Characters Changed from Books to TV Series, which became redundant. Yeah, I can imagine that was quite a yeah. list. Yeah, yeah there. I made it season two, but of other interviews they had given, not just in Blu-ray commentaries, and every time they've ever made a change with utter consistency, and I mean this for every change, they've described it in terms of, well, we wanted to show off the actor. I mean, okay. the Sutter Raid, for example, and by the way, why didn't anyone report on these Blu-ray commentaries? Basically, if you remember, I don't know if you're paying attention to news sites, the wiki isn't the biggest news site. We're losing a pause for a second. But the question you're saying is, why don't people uh, review the Blu-rays? And I think you, you've answered it before. And we, it's, it's the people that don't like the show anymore don't bother to watch it. And the ones that do are, 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 if they do, are fanboys, right? That's basically like the people that... They don't want to vilify them. Let me try going my audio yeah. slower here. I'm sure. sorry. The point is specifically what happened with the... Po oh, another thing. Remember they kept saying Cogman... In a, if you remember, they sent out an advanced copy of the Blu-ray to Entertainment Weekly's James Hibbard, and literally every news site reporting on the Blu-ray commentaries repeated what his report was as a transcript. Hmm. It was like two months early. So I don't think like io9, a couple of other ones, people I don't blame because, well, surely if they said more, Hibbard has the journalistic integrity to mention more. When, in fact, they pretty much admit we were doing this to pander Sophie Turner for an Emmy Award in that commentary, talk only about her and not Sansa. And when you read his transcript, he put a positive spin on what Cogman is saying when this would end Cogman's career if anyone listened to it or reported on it, which I will in coming weeks. <laughs> I'm planning if you survive, that. if you survive, there we you go. Make, nice. you suddenly disappear in a couple of <laughs> dragon down. Did I remind you of the time I personally drove Brian Cogman off Twitter? <laughs> no, he no. was harassing. Some fans were coming on a couple of weeks ago during season seven, and he was yelling at people that were complaining about the Sansa. And why is he engaging with them? Going, oh yeah, yeah you think bad things don't happen to people? And I would just be silently, just ta passive aggressively posting quotes from the season five commentary because they had already made a transcript going. We did it for these performances and these faces. Brian Cogman, season five commentary. And I did this a lot until he panicked and quit Twitter. <laughs> and I'm just quoting back what he said about the thing. But yeah, so you're not, you're not like flaming him. You're just quoting his exact quotes from uh, from what he said, right? Like from his, Also, uh, I did that when he said, and by the way, I muted you a long time ago. It's, you're muting your rape critics. <laughs> so it's just like that attitude they had when like, hey, we just had the Sansa rape. Hey, everyone, we're at Comic-Con. And it's like, you just did something crazy, and you think we're going to go back to another door, and we're going to go back to that, that was the bubble they're in. They didn't even realize what they did. But getting off topic, the James Hibbert thing, that really, no other news site, and we just reported his transcript, where it goes, quote, they went, oh, we panned the camera off of Sophie's face out of respect, just the door or something, and Theon's face just happened to be there. Literally two sentences later, Cogman goes, uh... And in post-editing production and post-production editing, we zoomed in on Alfie Allen's face to show, like, this is within 30 seconds of each other, and the contradiction genuinely doesn't occur to him. He's in a psychological state of 
denial with a capital D. Listen to this. I'm going to make clips of this. That he's just going. We only did move the camera off her face and zoomed in on Theon out of respect to her, and to show off Alfie Allen. He doesn't. I do a double take of this, and Hibbard didn't report on that. I want you to listen. And, and that's a what you're question. saying is for people to to go and listen to themselves and make their own judgments yes, fresh from the, the materials there. You can go to the library, you can borrow it from yeah. the library. You don't have to buy the, the damn thing. The, everyone <laughs> we assume I I didn't check it myself for a year because I assumed that James Hibbard wouldn't lie about something like that and would have journalistic integrity. When you listen to his conclusion, which he sent out and everyone went, was oh he he says that they respected Sophie and you didn't you did this for Alfie Allen and you were admitting his much. And not to mention, he just starts, he's incoherently babbling, and there's a point that breaks down and goes, look, we did it, in, he's insistently saying, we did it for these awards baiting. And yeah. I guess the problem is, book fandom, we're not used to dealing with pandering actors, we're used to dealing with characters as fictional constructs. Yeah, and absolutely, yeah. Visual, there isn't an actor component. So the fact that they're showing the actors didn't occur to me. Just right, like you're break it, you're breaking up on us. Again. <laughs> okay. But I mean, so, no, we've got, I mean, we've got most of what you said here, which is... Uh, to list off really quickly yes, everything that went off. forward. Yeah. The thing that really got me was those three things. It was that, and the other thing was Dorn. Yes. Everyone wants to treat it as an isolated problem. It was only the worst case example of what they've been always doing. That in also, and I have a clip of this online, Lee says, uh, Benioff and Weiss, oh, Keep in mind, season five finale scripted it, whatever killing a man. There's this point to go, oh, wow. Indira Farm is so great. Loved her since Rome that they wanted to show up. We're like Rome. We cast the Caesar as Man's Raider. We cast the, the wife of Rome as Maria. Just pause for a second. So you're saying yep. once we found out she is cast, continue. And I have this minute long clip just says bluntly, and it's just, I don't know why I didn't think of this, that I didn't think, why would I think they wouldn't sink to such a low that he says, oh, once we found out that Gear of Armor was cast, we reconceived the role to show all your talents. The phrase is, we reconceived the role to make it worthy talents. And this is, they probably already filmed Duran's death scene when they're saying this. And you realize, some people were stunned. If they're not killing off Duran shock value in season six. Although they changed that. They're, they weren't doing something coherent. That they rewrote Dorne to focus on Laria because they are a dear form of man boys wanted to have her on screen chewing the scenery. Really? That's that's hello drum and just the point you just. But Doctor Bashir, come on, yeah. I, come and, on, and I want I, him on camera. Particularly hurt because for years I I wanted Alexander sitting as an actor on there, and then they wasted him completely because they apparently preferred Laria's actor I instead. I hear what he has to say about that, but yeah. So it's just bluntly, oh. I paraphrase this as we reconceived the role to make it worthy of the actor's talent. They, they said yes. here at the time, but bluntly, I'm showing off the actor I like. And it just, the naked brutality of that, of just someone saying, I am doing this and I'm making no pretense of writing. And even Elio Garcia and Westeros and fundamentals, people who hate them, are convinced they did this to show that Alaria killing someone is feminist. They did it because they wanted to. They had her kill Marcella because they wanted to show off Ilaria, uh, Indira Varma, not Ilaria. Mm-hmm. It's not a... Even Cogman says this all the time. Oh, it's like Marvel Comics where there's, you know, there's Universe A and Universe B. 
this is like when Benioff wrote the X-Men Origins Wolverine, and it's this isn't a different version of Wolverine comics. This is your Hugh Jackman fanboy act, having him act in a self-conscious role. Have you seen X-Men Origins Wolverine? Uh, I ha- yes, I have. Just if you watch, realize they're writing Hugh Jackman as himself, not as a Wolverine. <laughs> oh, geez. and we should have seen that coming. That just this is I'm showing off in Vera Varma. So going down the list here of things that can be explained with this with citations. Dorn uh, was rewritten at the last... Oh, I have a whole four-hour video series on this. It should be shorter. Please check it out. Why Dorn failed. I'll give you a list of links. That Cogman said, we didn't think you we were going to go to Dorn in season five. Basically, as they were filming it, they crammed in three minutes of extra material in a season that was already overstuffed. And purely to show off in Gear of Arma. And here comes another point. We assume everything on screen, because we're used to books being finished or prestige every Emmy-level dramas being finished, that this is something you'd see on cable, like something written on the fly and thrown at the... How could they put in, you want a good girl, but you need the bad, or sets that were visibly not up... The fight scene, which they choreographed in three days, which is crazy, that you can't mm. rush that. Yeah. It just failure of imagination that maybe they just handed in their rough draft. And the conclusion is, it, it just never occurred to us, this feels like a rushed last-minute idea because it's a rushed last-minute idea. And they've admitted as much that they didn't care about the Sand Snakes. Even They didn't give, they never cared about Ariane Martell. And oh, it's yeah. not that Ari is Ariane, like they give her scenes that O'Bara has picked all the good stuff and gave it to Well, you know, they would have cared for Ariane Martel if they picked uh, an actress that they liked then suddenly, and for, them, for her and then be like, and then they would have written for her. Like, that's and I'm like, and again, yeah. talk about this more at the Dorn video. Why didn't they just gender swap Duran and cast Indira Varma as him as like a condensation of Ariane and Duran with limited mm-hmm. screen time? That wouldn't even be the craziest idea. Like their mother was the previous ruler. Yes, that's right. Like, uh, that's, so, that's interesting. And they kept granting, ah, we love Dorne and their culture, and you never showed that they're, they have less classism, uh, that their culture has female inheritance. You would not know that from live action. But I'm trying to get your podcast down to a respectable size, and I have much to say, so let me burn through the list here. Sure. The big first time, what was the first time you noticed they were going heavily off? Um, gosh, what's For the me, it was Rob. I'm sorry, say that again? It was the Rob Talissa romance in season two. Sure, I, okay. I, I had issues with that. Yeah, definitely. I thought that because they focused so much on that, and, and for example, didn't develop the rest of his, uh, you know, his northern entourage like that. That's, I mean, this is such yeah. so long ago, but that affected me. It was the first big point where it wasn't just they were changing something, but it was weird how, like, at their Comic Con panel, they were deflecting questions, and we realized these people aren't being honest with us. Something's going on. Hmm. So I have. A whole video series why Game of Thrones changed things from books to TV series. And the one I started with was Dorn because it's the most obviously failed one. But, you know, in retrospect, if, if listeners, if you want to start with one, start with Stannis because that's the best one. It's got almost yes. 200,000 views. Then maybe the Arya Chase one because it's also me going the Arya Bravos Chase. It doesn't matter if it's her gut wounded or whatever. The point is, this is showing off Maisie Williams making it. It's about, I'm straining myself face. Okay. It's not good, it's not bad. It is pandering her on screen with her facial muscles. Mm. But 
start with Stannis, then that I re- rearranged the order of the playlist from the order I made them in. You know, <laughs> was me my teeth. It's four hours long. It should be like two and a half, but I, I was learning. But it, also because I have a lot of citations to go through that, um, like uh, things that are objectively rushed in Dorne, like the sets and fight choreography. This isn't a matter of opinion. It's it convinced me these guys really don't know how to make television. And people, the, the, the people defending them going, well, how could they have known Dorna do this? The dozen department heads we have cited quotes from warning them, please don't do this. You are rushing this. Michelle Clapton left the show over that. Mm-hmm. Then she came back because I think of it, the big, I forgot to say this, the biggest impression I had of Cogman listening to his DVD commentary about the rape is, and I don't mean this as a joke, have you ever seen that documentary Blackfish Pelican? Well, no, nope. no, I haven't seen that one. It's that Sea World was really caging and abusing its orca whales, right? Okay. And these caretakers looking at grainy footage of themselves twenty years later, where they're going, "No, a twenty-foot pool is big enough for an orca." One second, let's give you a little bit of a pause here. Break here, yeah. So you were saying like they're yeah. It reminds me of people who are looking back in this video, going, "I wanted to believe that lie." The, the words coming in, and they're reciting it robotically. Of course the whales are fine in SeaWorld. They're going, I didn't quit because I thought if I quit, someone else will come who doesn't care about them and they'll be even worse. But in retrospect, I was part of the problem. I see Cogman as that, that how do good people in any situation stay with like a bad company? Just, well, if I left, someone would make it worse. Or It never occurred to me we're dealing with people in denial or rationalizing themselves, even among fan sites. Of how can you defend the show for Dorn? Well, how could they have known that? I have citations that department had saying they shouldn't have done that. They were being yelled at and living in a bubble because they don't have uh, a staff. But getting back on track and slowing down for audio, like Dorn, this wasn't an isolated incident. It wasn't because it's hard in the book. It's just a worst-case example of we're starstruck by our own cast members. They say as much in their Blu-ray commentaries. It's disturbing to listen. Bob Talissa doesn't have as much evidence, but and I was arguing with this with Elio Garcia on Wiki, because I'm working on his Wiki. I was trying to add in citations, because they have to listen page as well. You know, they're describing in interviews we're doing this to show off Richard Madden and that went over my head at the time, but in retrospect, yeah, that's why they did it. Yep. We were looking for something more than that, because we just didn't want to accept man as an idiot showing off cast members. So, mm. I kept thinking change was she's from Atlantis. That wasn't even a problem. Okay, you want to mention Atlantis? There, that's the one big change of Martin himself actually talked about, and I have a clip of my transcript of that, and I, after the Dorn video, I made a video on Rob and Lissa. I'm explaining, we got sidetracked going, maybe she's a spy, and that might even have been an idea they toyed with. That doesn't matter. The fundamental change was, out I didn't write a romance, a stereotypical romance. It was a deconstruction of that. He just banged some nurse, and the, they, after uh, the Red Wedding episode, they said just bluntly, oh, we were showing off Richard Madden. And people didn't pick up on it, because they didn't want to pick up on it. So, they didn't want to pick up on it, you said. Yeah, and the thing we kept, and Linda kept saying it was, you know, we kept saying, she's got to be a spy. Her dialogue is so bad, and still much like Dorn, her dialogue felt stilted and like a rough draft of horny dialogue because it was a rushed 
rough draft handed in at the last minute. <laughs> and Cogner's the minute of this. He said, I, mean, I have a cited quote in there going, the writing phase should have been done by that August, and you will be writing it on the fly in September when the cameras are already rolling. So that is why her dialogue is so stilted. Okay, well, pause for a second uh, as we let a recap, but I think this is a good point to shift into. I'm going to summarize because I think there's four main points you've made, and you've made three of them so far. The first being emoting versus acting. The second being mixing up the uh, the act the actors with the characters. The third being Emmy baiting. And the fourth that we're shifting into here is, is just a failure of logistics, failing to plan scenes and uh, episodes yeah. properly. This being Dorn, the, the rushed, not only the rushed script, but the fact that they booked it in a place where they had very limited ability to film there, right? There was They didn't even there. know that they couldn't film at night. Yes. They scripted it as a – I'm, I'm, there's like a couple other things I want to get through in a minute rather than sure. eating up all this time, but – Dorn, I started with because it was the biggest example of a failure and just the one that convinced me these aren't people I disagree with doing something I don't like. They're not even acting in their own best interest because they're idiots. And the big comparison I wanted to draw is with imagine Joffrey if someone was trying to anticipate what Joffrey's doing and they heard who knew nothing about him. He killed Ned Stark. All right. What's his next move? What was his goal in that? Was he trying... No, really. Was he trying to frighten Stannis? Maybe he was trying to shock the Northern Lords into turning against Rob. No, that wouldn't make sense. And pondering over what a rational person would do and never thinking of them, maybe he just impulsively killed Ned and didn't think of the repercussions. Mm. And But the exactly. real analogy I draw is Cersei. Big, and not, <laughs> not, I just, over many months, I have... Think of Cersei in book four is probably a better analogy of why would she be insulting the Iron Bank like this? What is she, her goal in remaking the faith militant? She's an idiot. <laughs> I mean, it's just, she, she, think, she thinks she's smarter Who than thinks she thinks she's acts. smart, yes, and has had some successes early on and then, has, then it falls. Just yeah. Impulsively, I am remaking the faith militant and I'm not thinking through the repercussions is kind of what the Dorn production was like that Cersei is a good analogy for that. Mm. Uh, her being just unable to run a kingdom. So Dorn was rushed because it was never, and it just, um, I really think no one wanted to talk about it and just don't talk about that. That that was downright cartoonishly racist. It was something out of a minstrel show. TV Dorn, just how, how the hell did when, with the Confederate thing? I'm not going to get into that. i just, how the hell with a straight face can I uh, say I'm a fan of this and look at, like, I'm Polish-American? I don't. Yeah, when Dorn's always been in an area that's really, really important to our podcast, so when they messed it up, that definitely hit. I mean, Elio's, Elio's half-Cuban, I think, just, yes. I, I can't be part of this, that this is wrong. And I prided, I think the books can be subject to criticism, but... No, Dorne is this rich, multicultural place, and yes. you turned it into a racist cartoon of brown girls are hot. So just all of that, and when they kept hyping it needlessly, of it's this wonderful other culture, and what is this? So Dorne was vanity project to show off in Deer of Arma, and although I have less evidence of Rob Talissa, it fit, it, he does say it after he died, we're showing off Richard Madden. Talissa isn't what changed. It's Rob. And they renamed her because it's this whole thing where Martin told him, if you're going to call her Jane from Volantis, can you at least give her a new name? Because this isn't the character I wrote. 
I didn't write a romance. And you imagine if they renamed everyone in the show. But that was then. And Cattle and Crying, again, it's because the focus was shifted to pandering him as a romantic lead. And they wanted her to cry, to, not to make her sympathetic, but to show off the shell fairly. Then, although this might seem one of the more banal videos, I moved on to Cersei. Why? Because while not as shocking as Dorne, there's a shitload of more citations for Cersei. I mean, magazine interviews from season two, where they openly admit, word for, I mean, really word for word, we rewrote Cersei to be like Nina Headey. And not even in it, oh, well, she can be funny. Well, Tywin can be funny. Bruce Bolton, Stannis can be, well, funny can mean a lot of things. That was one thing, and I got that. It made sense. You know, she's flippant like a teenager. She's immature. That they said, Lena is capable of doing motherly. So we started rewriting Cersei to do motherly scenes. Or she really does love her children. Hmm. Now, I personally, I've talked about this in my videos, I come from a family of domestic abuse. So the idea that, no, let's make, she's abusing herself in time in action. She is enabling Joffrey that they would twist her into, no, she really does love them, it was obscene to me. I thought that was the big point, that she's an unfit mother. I mean, the point where Kevin, in, uh, in the later books, bluntly tells her, you are a terrible mother, and this is hurting your other children. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Doing what Ty Tywin did to her, and she doesn't realize the hypocrisy of, hmm. just as Tywin played favorites with Jamie, you are playing favorites with Joffrey, and endangering Marcella and Tommen. But, I mean, she... Um, Lena Headey, I love Lena Headey. I think she could play Book Cersei in Blackwater, scripted by Martin. She played it perfectly. This is not her fault. Or think this is me yelling about her. This is something bad they did to her. That why is Cersei so incoherent in the joke that she's Carol Lannister? There is no coherent fictional character, Carol or TV Cersei. They randomly put in scenes of her being sympathetic and loving her children to show off Lena Headey and then the next he'll be killing someone and it's incoherent they don't even notice they don't so, even know okay although Talissa was the first big time they changed something and didn't explain it and I talk about this in my video first time they really went off book remember was episode 2 and they had her explain oh I had a little black haired child before Joffrey that scene was invented to show off that Lena Headey can do motherly nothing more it wasn't to make Cersei nuanced that's why that exists and the later scene of her being with Robert, being kind of mellow about the baby that died. And the logistics of that are crazy, because they later say, yeah, Joffrey's 17, and Cersei married Robert at the end of the war 17 years ago. When the hell was this other baby? And she's not, they just don't pay attention to the timeline. So, Dorn, Vanity Project Farm. Melissa, actually a Vanity Project Richard Madden, the actor. Cersei. Just going to interject for a second so your audio comes back. All right. Cersei is a vanity project to show off Lena Headey can do motherly with no thought to consistency. And I was sorry I keep starting and stopping before. For your listeners, what really convinced me not going crazy is slowly but surely book fan sites are starting to read my stuff and go, dear God, this is what the show is really doing. <laughs> You're making so, a difference. You know, videos are very good about building this, the kind of the premises and then going through the citations and getting to the point. Like It's, it's very... They're long, but they they they're 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 built and building up to something. They're they're going off citations. The other thing is, I never meant them for popular consumption. I meant them to show to people like you guys who are willing to sit through a two-hour thing. I meant them for like other wiki administrators, so I can verbalize to other people. This is what is really happening, and the story is, you know, Dorne did well. The 
Cersei video did well. Like, when the Stannis video got 20,000 views in the single Pause for a second. Okay, so your Stannis video got 20,000 views, you said? <laughs> yeah, the, the other ones got like 5,000 after a month, and then the Stannis one got like 20,000 in like a weekend, and I went, wait a minute. Oh, whoa. Before I do this, I should be more professional. <laughs> so, it, it, I started paying more attention to it. I never thought anyone would listen to this. I was just trying for the sake of trying. Hit a, you've hit a nerve. You know Steve Atwell raised for the Iron Throne? Yes, he's, he's, he's guest hosted with us a few times. Actually. Oh, great. He's, I turned out, I just Googled my name once. He was saying in his season seven finale review, basically, dear God, that dragon guy from the wiki was right about everything. And he was comments for it, and I contacted him over Twitter and went, yeah, you've convinced me through all your stuff. There's, there's a, I, in the White Hunt video I made, I blocked what he said, if you want to look at it. But he said, this scene of Cersei and, Ty- and Tyrion yelling about Priscilla, I'm not going to waste time. I, normally I would read into it about, they got this theme about Cersei wants revenge, or this is them showing nuance, and just after I watched the other guy's documentary, Steve is saying, this exists to show off the actors emoting, which isn't even really acting, but they think it is. That, that this exists randomly positioned to show them off emoting, so Race for the Iron Throne is on board so is poor Quentin, uh, who started that nice new podcast, uh, uh, reread of every single chapter ever. They're really on board with this. So they okay. of season seven, Cersei. I made this book back before season seven. I made the Cersei video. It still holds true for everything in season seven. Why is she having a happy scene and a sad scene to show off Lena Headey's range? Jamie is just along for the ride. He's not even. They don't have. They don't really like him so much as a prop, Cersei. <laughs> <laughs> they never have a point. Where, oh, he's doing so well. It, it's she, Lena's driving force. Then, of course, I got to the Stannis video, and this is why I'm here. That Elio, I respect. I really do. Really, that he said I'm so disgusted and hurt by this. Even now, I get PTSD flashbacks of watching their stunned season five review video where they're just gaping. I, I hear his words going, I am done with this show. Really? Gasp. Just, that captured my feeling and I love them for it. I serve Martin, then Elio and Linda, and then the wiki, in that order. Hmm. I don't work for the wiki. I First, I work for Martin first, then Elio, then the wiki. That is my mentality. So they wrote the world book. So they maintain the book. So, I'm not criticizing him for this. I'm saying, Elio, your Achilles in your tent. You need to fight this. And just, I, he was on pause, you understand. He said, I have not listened to anything since season five. Well, since season five came out, Benioff and Weiss realized, like Cersei in book four, hey, the Lannisters won. We can start doing crazy stuff. And it kind of bit him in the ass that so many people realized you're great. You th- they got overconfident in interviews, started blabbing. We don't know how TV works. We were just doing this to show off the actors. And now that I have citations for it, I built a case against them. That At the end, you know, Elio was saying on the podcast, they think Stannis is ambitious. That's why they did it. Well, they said that once in one of their own promo videos, which was edited. How objective is that? And I believed that for a long time. It seemed believable. I'm telling Elio, any other book people out there, wake up. There's so many other interviews where it's them, DVD commentary, rambling 
oh my god, look at that frowning half the world face Stannis does. <laughs> I made a clip of this audio commentary you can see on my channel right now that I explained this in the end of the Stannis video that Benioff is like Linda keeps saying he's a hack. I don't like using that word because it is vague. David Benioff is a very, very skilled con man. He is good at lying with his face. He makes a lot of poker analogies to realize he's Book Littlefinger. That Book Littlefinger isn't this creepy guy. They go <laughs> like a serial killer like O.J. Simpson. He's really good at he's smiling and really friendly, and you just find yourself trusting him through his mannerisms, even when what he's saying has no substance. And I've seen, I've been reviewing a lot of Benioff. Did it? Have you seen the video clip of when he handles the rape question? No. I, I that one, too. I made a clip of it. It's got 10,000 views already where it's, he was surprised at a live Q&A right before season five. Hey, why was there that invented Jamie Searcy rape scene, which wasn't really invented. I'll explain that later. And he just, you have to see this. He mumbles his way through a response, quickly saying, well, you know, we did that because the cast works really hard and, you know, there's production issues and we did that because we thought it was a thing you do. And you know, characters are gray. Do you know what cold reading is? I explained it in the Stannis video. Yeah, cold yeah. reading, there's a South Park episode on this. It like with psychics is when you go, you ramble off a list of like three or four multiple choice things, and then someone else goes, Oh, it was thing number two. Like, and they go, Yeah, so he went cast works hard, gray stuff, and um, production issues, and someone goes and, you know, like Hamlet, he's kind of ambitious and he's gray. And we as a, the book fans then go, so you're saying he's ambitious? Yeah, he's ambitious. It's like someone going, where's your homework? Maybe the dog ate it. No, maybe I left it at my friend's house. Left it at your friend's house. That's it. Wait a minute. You said the dog might have eaten it. Why we, you hear what I'm saying here? Yeah, they're, 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 they're just throwing things out there and then then, then picking yeah. one later. Like The one, that, the one that, that everyone was already picking. You know, like matching. Yeah. That's not the real reason. So ambition... For Stannis, yeah. for example, it's not that they messed up ambition versus loyalty. They just wanted to put him in this situation make him have a pouty face. It has nothing to do with <laughs> Stannis' fictional character. They don't yeah. like or hate ambition. They wanted to have the Stannis actor, Stephen Delane, make a face. Then when they had people on set would ask them, why are we doing this? They'd mumble through some responses. Someone else, it works. Domestic abusers and psychic fake psychics do this. If anyone has ever been in a bad relationship or someone rambles off a list of potential answers, I explain all this more coherently in the Stannis video. I'm hurrying now because I want to keep you up forever. They're good at the cold reading is when you ramble off a multiple choice thing. And the point is the other person wants to believe you. They pick the most hmm. likely many times in season two when we wanted to like them to resupply answers of you know, I was in denial. Went, oh no, they're rounding out Lissa because they want to show off the free cities more. They want to show Rob because he's off screen. Surely that's why they did it. When I didn't research that. I didn't find a quote saying that. I was making up answers because I wanted to believe them of why they must be doing this. That's being in denial. And I'm sad with it. Yes, I did that. So they wanted to think they're doing this for something better than just showing off the actor. They didn't do this for ambition. That's just something they rambled off. To hmm. They represented that as a consistent or here in belief, they did this to make up. They wanted to see them frowning. They think that's good storytelling because it's good drama. Mm. Do they care about vision? That was a lie they put out to make yes. it us think they weren't just pandering the actors. Why do you think they fixated on burning Shireen the way they did? 
And they say, oh, it happens in the books. Maybe Melisandre does it without Stannis' knowledge. We don't know, but just fixating on seeing her screaming and her face and Stannis' as it's, it's melodrama. They're playing off the actor is frowning, therefore this is drama. That isn't how drama works. This is, again, the drama equivalent of a laugh track. And it isn't grimdark. They don't even understand it's dark. They spend the commentaries cracking the jokes. They don't comprehend that the Sansa rate removed their narrative agency because they're going, how powerful she is. Look how powerful Stannis is. He's dying. It's a greater insult. that They don't even comprehend what they did to Sansa. Just going to interject for a second so your audio comes back. Yeah, so you're, you're talking about the... I mean, the rape scene is something that drove off That's, a lot of viewers anyway because they just saw the symptom and this is horrible. They left and you kind of diagnosed it, why they even put it in there in the first place. It, this was bad Emmy baiting and on a certain... It wasn't for shock... It was not for shock value. It was to show off Sophie Turner and on top of that, they genuinely... Let me segue from Stannis now into this. They genuinely believed that this was Sansa being a player. That you'll see, like, Petra Halber from Watchers on the Wall, like Trump, their surrogates write little excuses for them, articulating excuses better than they can. No, she has an essay on her website going, Sansa's a player because she convinced Theon to turn on Ramsay. And it's, they presented as Theon doing that himself. And even if it was, this isn't her being a political player. That people want to believe that. And again, the point I really noticed, this isn't just a cheap rape for revenge, something weird is happening, is remember the Battle of the Bastards when Sansa didn't do anything other than put execute Ramsay with dogs with Jon Snow's permission after he was already defeated? Mm-hmm. And I realized this isn't to set up Sansa getting revenge on him. You know, it would be simplistic if you know she then rallies the Vale Lords, actively rallies them to kill him. But she was on the sidelines the whole time and didn't she wasn't manipulating people. She wasn't a political player. And they keep going, oh, and even Linda pointed it out. That's what they kept fixating on, that she kills him after John beats him up and ties him up. What did, in your words, what did Sansa do? Well, our focus on those episodes was that she only just, like, took away from John, basically. I mean, like, she basically caused John to lose more men while he... Oh, yeah, the, the, the wonderful yeah. moment, I don't know if everyone's yeah. still watching who are book fans, the season six San Diego Comic-Con panel, where they're like, hey, we can come back to Comic-Con, they skipped it for season five. Um, it's the guy who plays Mac in Always Sunny in Philadelphia with the host. And he just casually mentions, yeah, why didn't Sansa tell John about the Vale Army? <laughs> and Benioff and Weiss are sitting there, they don't say anything. And she just goes, uh, I don't know, to make it dramatically satisfying. It's She's admitting, if you don't know why your character did something, you're not acting, by definition. It was to create fake tension. And again, people get mixed up that like, oh, you know, in a comic book, Spider-Man or Captain America would never do that. Well, when we see meat people, M-E-A-T, you know, meat bodies on camera, we mistake them for being real. That if, when even like the Stannis actor saying, I don't know, I'm just reading lines. But we think hmm. there must be a cohesion. People agonizing over, why did yeah. Sansa do that? Sansa's not real. Any more than Captain America. Uh, or... or Ant-Man or anyone in the comics. So, Hey, don't you pick on my superheroes now. No. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, when they're acting incoherently, they're not a real person. Yeah. So, 
there's three things, I'm rattling this off quickly because I want to get to other stuff. Three things potentially Sansa could have done to defeat Ramsay. I'm making air quotes you can't see. Rally the Northern Lords. Did we ever see Sansa win over a Northern Lord? But that's objective. Two, she could have led the Vale Lords. Three, kill him. Ah, I'm pretty sure it was to, to kill him part. That isn't really narrative agency. He's already defeated. He's already tied up. Yep. And the one that anyone would say, okay, that isn't really defeating him. The one big one was rallying the Vale Lords. In season seven, my point is season seven seemed to treat it as what did she do to defeat him? Rally the Vale. The way they presented it was Littlefinger, she sent a letter to Littlefinger requesting aid he already freely And then they played up the tension of the heat. She was in such little control. He might not even respond. Yeah. At what point was this her manipulating Littlefinger? Hmm. At what point was she a player? Exactly. Back, like sending the letter was this masterstroke with brilliance. And to cap it all off, and again, I haven't finished the Sansa video yet. It's coming spring. Just going to interject so your audio comes back? Yeah. The point is, okay. yeah. you noticed from production notes, people keep saying, oh, the point of is, oh, they're making a grimdark Westeros where Sansa's strong because she's violent. They scripted out that Ramsay's death scene was going to show in explicit detail his dogs. And in the commentary, they say, we thought it was so powerful. Again, large it was so powerful, you're saying. Okay. That they listen to it. They fixate on that she's grinning. Amazing grin as she walks away. The actress. They said it was going to cut back to showing him being torn apart. But it was just so powerful. And you did this to show off. So entire storyline. And spent two years setting up this incoherent rape storyline. Not as rape for revenge. But because in writing season five, they imagined this powerful moment of Sansa really so giving an Emmy-level performance, non-verbally smirking as he dies. And she wasn't even nominated. It doesn't work. Cheating yeah. doesn't work. That isn't acting. After, after doing all this, the Emmy baiting does not seem to be working anymore. Think, yeah, right? so really just reading off the list now. Yeah. I then made one on Battle of the Bastards won't happen in the books. It exists to show off Kit Harrington and pander him for an Emmy Award. And it was a production nightmare in which they did not listen to people. And if it seemed like the umbers were going to turn on them, Probably because they were going to do that and they ran out of time. I have a whole two hour video on this where they were just how much of a bubbler and like the Dorn stuff. They kept saying, Oh, you can film this in like two weeks. And Miguel Sapachnik, the director, was saying, It'll take six weeks to film this. It takes time to teach a horse to do stage films. I can't rush that. Yeah. And they did it in order to show off Kit Harrington. They even say the live horses, which are on a filmable scale, have 70 of them are to frame Kit's performance. That that was their mental image of it, was just Kit, all the strategy parts the director put in. Basically, it would have looked like the White Hunt, just where I timed the White Hunt is basically what they wanted to do for the other one. Four solid minutes of just looking at Kit's face, exerting himself while fighting zombies in a, with no strategy. Mm. This is to panic Kit. Yeah. So that's, Hard Home was the same thing. Hard home happens in the books, but Kit isn't there. And we're not even going to see it in a lot. Even though John isn't there, we're not going to see it like Potter Pike. That exists to show him off. There isn't a Night King in the novels. I asked George Martin about that, and he actually responded to me. Oh, did said, he? Really? Oh, the Night King. It, it, oh, yeah. Look, there's a note on it. In, in, in the White Hunt video I have, of, 
explaining, he wrote me back, as I said, is it the Night's King? From, with, I keep calling it Night Tower, the cast original headquarters of the Night's Watch. Night, uh, the Night, the Night Fort. The Night Fort, yeah. Because they call, spell it Night King without an apostrophe, yes. And he gave me a cryptic answer. That it's in the So Spake Martin archives now. It was hmm. fun. Just, <laughs> I increasingly think they just wanted to make one central white walker for yeah. Carrington to folks. Oh, yeah. Because it's so much not, easier when there's only, like, when there's the enemy is a, a particular a particular bad guy. It's easy it for us to comprehend. And to an extent, it's not even the worst idea. Well, we need one main one to focus on. Hmm. But Vizirion isn't going to die and come back as a white. They did that to show off Daenerys's reaction to it, which is really Amelia Clark's reaction to it. If they didn't do it to be cool, they did it to show off the actor's emotion. Running through the list, I also have like the Arya Chase was to do that. But Battle of the Bastards, you can tell they were setting up. It's going to end with the Umbers turning. The moral of the story, which yeah, you can tell. The, the Benioff and Weiss didn't learn is if you keep mistreating people, they will eventually fight even on your knees. That if the message of the first three books was honor is hard and the cheaters seem to always prosper. Just going to interject for a second so your audio comes back. Cause... What? Just want to make second, yeah. just want to make sure I hear what you're saying yes. here. Continue. After that, books four and five, the Lannisters and Boltons are and Fraser are having trouble. No one will trust them again. Hmm. That people are fighting for the Starks even when they're dead, because their honor bought loyalty. And as soon as the Boltons are weak, people turn on them. As soon as the Fraser weak, this they are the Boltons. They don't <laughs> understand what moral was treating people well means you buy that. Mistreating people has consequences. That it's them stunning, as Linda was, that they left that out. The numbers needed to turn on Ramsey. That Sansa's rape has no narrative consequences in the final version. And Sapachik admitted, we ran over time as I warned them they would, so we cut the original ending. He didn't say what it was, but kind of guess. And then other things that Liana Mormont, remember, oh, look how feminist we are showing off Liana Mormont. They admitted, Showing up her off because we think Bella Ramsey is a cute actress. This is a pattern you see over and over again. Okay. Wow, minor character is nice. Let's start showing them off. Shay. Shay was billed as a starring cast member in season two when Loris was not because, oh, we really like the actress. That is why they changed that. Or the first time they ever changed any. Remember when the show started? Said that, oh no, they're inventing a new character, Ross. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I've totally even blocked Roz out. Jeez. That made sense. Like, there's a dozen prostitute characters in books have one condensation character to stand in. Hmm. They said, oh, commentary. We made her a recurring character because we like Esme Bianco, the actress. Not for this narrative sake of you need a condensation character. Yeah, and I think, uh, I mean, sometimes some good things can sometimes come out of the... Yeah. accidentally or, or incidentally but you're just showing that how like every all these decisions were all based on like a couple of basic yeah, so it's, motives basically yeah Dorn uh, it's the same thing Dorn Rob Talissa Cersei Stannis Battle of the Bastards is showing off John. as is the White Hunt as is Hardhome Arya Chase why do you people are complaining why do you think there were so many Theon torture scenes more than were necessary to establish he was being tortured because they're shilling the Allen for an Emmy he did a good torture face. Okay. Yeah. Littlefinger. Yeah. Littlefinger. I have Grammys, a, yeah. <laughs> Office, yeah. Littlefinger. I have a video of this just recently where the actor said, quote, 
and Elio would probably be saying, oh, they're trying to make this dark, creepy little finger. The actor's own assessment, since season two, I could notice that they were starting to write him like me. That they were pandering <laughs> my ability to, quote, my ability to make a creepy character. Hmm. That they started writing the characters as the, just, they became caricatures of the actors, and this is really long quote going, they just write them as me. So, Miss Sande Greyworth, was that made to show off a proud black African inspired culture? Which I you know, like Wakanda. I'm interested in Wakanda as a fictional universe, a summer island yep. place. They said we wanted to show off the actors, Miss Sande Greyworth. And little people like Miranda, Greyworth, Osha, and Natalia Tena, we expanded it to give the actor more to do. Mm. There's in yeah, the and, and again, I'll say, I mean, some good things came out of that, but that was just some incidental, Ron, incidental to the Ron was good, motive. But then they motive. just using him. Yeah. But they're doing that because they like. And sometimes this was a good, like Miss Sandy Greyworm. I loved. I have no problem yes. with that. Um, Linda kept fixating on. Wow, they sure do like long speeches by the High Sparrow. They're showing off Jonathan Price. Um, yep. Uh, Egret um, had more scenes at the expense of Corin because they like that. Actually worked, and I enjoyed it. But if you've seen, have you seen their South by Southwest panel earlier this year? I have not. Oh, well, it was actually from spring last year, but it's they skipped season five to dodge Dorn and rape questions at San Diego Comic-Con. And they came <laughs> back. Everyone was stunned by that. They came back to season six San Diego Comic-Con. And then the moderator politely asked, hey, why doesn't Sansa tell them about the Vale Army? And they panicked. <laughs> so the next time they actually came to a panel was months later yeah. at South by Southwest. It was a panel at which the moderators asking questions were Sophie and Maisie. Benioff and Weiss being interviewed by Sophie and Maisie, and at the end they admit that we wrote all of our own questions and gave them to our underage cast members to read to us. So it's all these self-serving, utterly self-serving showing off. And there's like a question where they boast. I'm going to put video clips of this eventually. Remember that time? You know how Locke is their version of Argo Holt, and then he came back in season four as yeah. like a police soldier in the Return of Pastor's Keep? Yep. Say, remember that time? Aren't we great for we brought this character back purely because we like the actor? Mm. Like, they're proud of this. Mm. Torment Brienne. They're showing off that the Torment actor can do this funny leering thing. It's not narrative. Carl fucking Tanner from the Return to Craster's Keep was to show off that Burn Gorman was in their cast. Anytime they have ever done anything. So all these rushed last minute ideas. Everything we hate, these aren't isolated, and they're not gods. They're not demons. Benioff and Weiss are incompetent con men who trick the world into thinking they do better on a TV show. We're starting to run out of time here, but I, I want to kind of wrap up what you said. Is How were they even selected in the first place? Coming up, and I took time away from it to do your show, I'm doing a biography of David Benioff video attempting to answer that question. It's like mm. a two-hour documentary. Weiss is Benioff's sidekick. When you look at them in videos, he's subservient to him and just... Benioff invited Weiss to come on. It was all just Benioff. That Benioff is a skilled con man who is good at being known. He, like Littlefinger, he's a small man who's good at making friends with powerful people, convincing them he knows more than he does. I mean, you have to remember, by luck, he wrote 25th Hour, which was turned into an Oscar-level movie in 2002, and his conversation with Martin was in 2005, so... He was coming three years off of an Oscar high. He was known. Did you know 
that I think 2004, I forget the exact year, right after 25th Hour came out, it was 2003, he was named one of the top 20 most attractive eligible bachelors by People Magazine. Just part of that social circle in Hollywood. And he, you look at him then, he really was this attractive, tall, mover and chick. It feels like when you're reading early early um, hype about M. Night Shyamalan, like right after The Sixth Sense came out. <laughs> because he's a one-hit wonder. And it's this is a good movie because of Spike Lee's direction and Edward Norton's action. Like, as a scriptwriter, he actually do most of what they're praising him for. And he did some mildly good other movies. It's He might have made a good staff writer. It's, why would you put him in charge of this? No one thought he was lying when he said he could. Part of the other problem is, I think, you know, just these are questions we need to assess that I don't have the answers for right away, but how did he manage to do this? I mean, he said, I didn't know, how, I don't need to prove this. He said, I didn't know how to run a TV show. So when I'm saying he's this incompetent con man, like he's admitted that. How did it happen? Good question. The big question is, we should have known something was wrong when the pilot failed. How many other times, never, has a pilot failed and they order another one? That has never happened. That is unusual. Yeah. So hmm. part of it is I think Martin really wanted to do it. Part of the other problem is I, I suspect everyone else was realistically saying we can't do this at this budget unless it turns into a mega hit. That'll never happen. Like imagine if the whole show was done on season one budget. Someone would tell you we can't film the Battle of the Blackwater. We can't film Dorn in the Iron Islands. You can't. We're not sure if we get a second season. You can't bank on getting nine. Yeah. So I think Benioff told him what he wanted to hear, and the irony is the show turned out to be so successful that if we went back in the time machine, we could tell everyone, give them all the budget they need. You know it's going to be a hit. Yeah. I think he was smart enough to tell people what they wanted to hear. And the other thing is they surrounded them with the best and brightest. You hear this like a prayer. Just going to interject for just a second so your audio comes back. So what did he surround? He's saying he surrounded... They were surrounded by the best and brightest. Like Michelle McLaren was a director on Breaking Bad. All these other top-level production people like Clapton and uh, Deborah Riley and all the costumers and the props masters. That And sometimes you don't need to know everything. Maybe you can be a good delegator without knowing how cameras work. He doesn't listen to people anymore. Benioff. It's really just him. My, my point is when you, you're arguing with Sean Lees who can't... It, Shonleys is a funny word, but I'm not really good at using it. Just show up all <laughs> no, this is the greatest show ever been going. Well, it's at least got flaws like Dorn and stuff. And when they can't even defend like Sansa Rape or Stannis, dear God, that, that was I don't want Stannis fans to I can see their pain that it felt like Dorn and Sansa overshadowed what happened to him. And they were more offensive from a racial and sexist rape standpoint, but make no mistake, I am wounded about what happened to Stannis. People are like, no one cares about Stannis, identity politics. I effing care about Stannis. I love that man. He's going to take back the North. He's going to win the Battle of Ice. Mm. It's like an Imperial Commissar. And <laughs> I will call him to the freezing gates of hell. They get to Stannis. Don't think I don't care. Yep. But whenever yeah. someone goes, they can't defend what happened to Stannis. You know, my point is, whenever you get into an argument online or whatever, that's the ultimate fallback because they're never just going to admit it. They go, well, if nothing else, you have to praise Benioff and Weiss for putting together the physical production on a show of this scale internationally. It's never happened before. Even though it's like a prayer. 
They always go back yeah. to recite that. They put together this show. No, they didn't. The more interviews I'm going through, they're leaking out. It's describing this nightmare situation where it's these, they're surrounded by yes men in a bubble and they didn't make the show. Other competent people were hired up that yeah. later, like they had to waste time teaching them how casting well, editing. You have such good source material, and then you have the HBO engine. It's like if you put anyone else that was more qualified, they could have done better. Like um, that way, uh, right? The analogy, best analogy. What do you mean, Robert doesn't know King Robert doesn't know how to run the kingdom, and we're six million in debt? He's the king, and like they're trying to tell him, Ned, the small council runs everything. Robert <laughs> is a figurehead, and there's people who don't want to believe that. that yeah. How is my short answer? What do you mean Robert's not running the kingdom? <laughs> so, Well, um, I mean, the, the thing is, Robert is doing, when he gets involved, he makes it worse. But whenever yeah. he does anything. Um, obviously, the big news out now is that Benioff and Weiss are contracted to run Star Wars movies. Yeah. Are they? Um, I, 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 oh, well, wow. That's a, yeah, uh, they've uh, given him a new series. Trilogy of Star Wars movies. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> not main sequence movies, like movies in that universe, like as you would a video game, but as a movie. Very similar to uh, they gave Ryan Johnson uh, a series to write. Well, they're as well. doing a lot of these, right? Yeah, they're they're doing a whole bunch. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's, that's not a good sign for Star Wars fans, then I guess. Yeah, well, <laughs> as you would like a TV show or something, it's it's not episode twelve. You know, it's in that universe. Mm. It's correct. And the thing is, people are like, "I'm going to freak out." At my reaction was relief. <laughs> they will not survive the scrutiny of Star Wars fans. Right. Fandom <laughs> is so big and structured. Already, they have the mechanisms in place for judging film adaptations that we didn't have as book fans. Yeah. And, and the Lucasfilm story group, you're getting details wrong that they will not survive that level of scrutiny. So I'm just kicking back. That's not my problem. Other they, people. They, also have, their, exist they have their Confederate show as well, which is probably going to. We'll yeah, that's the other that. thing. A lot of people think that's going to take a uh, take on the back burner because they have Star have Wars now. Understand. Benioff is a crazy narcissist needs to prove he's the best at everything because it really rankles him that people say he was riding Martin's coattails. So, same argument of, well, surely Confederate will stop because they have to work on Star Wars. Same analogy. Surely they're not going to double up on Dorne and the King's Landing storyline in Season <laughs> 5. That would be crazy. It, what have I been telling you? These people have yeah. no sense of deadlines or logistics Yes, Benioff was stupidly capable of thinking he could do Dorn in seven days. I see no reason that they would stop doing Confederate. Because, again, like Cersei, why would Cersei double up like that? It's not in her own interest. She doesn't know that. She's an idiot. So I think he will try to do both. But is, is, but is he bound for his walk of shame, though, at some point? Is that going <laughs> to be Star Wars? Have because... you physically seen what's happened to Benioff? Elio knows more than this, but you know, I, I've made a, a different a video again in my video feed where it's a post where Elio, it's a clip with permission from Elio where him and Linda are saying they were exhausted by people we know who know them personally because you know, we know Martin. They were physically exhausted since season three. And I don't know if you've been watching their videos, you know, like it's not just the normal aging. Like Weiss looks like he's aged a few years uh, through heavy management. Benioff looks like he's melted. There are physical, and people make a oh, ha-ha, I'm saying this. His face looks really puffy, and he walks into a panel and says, I just did a bunch of vodka shots and I'm very drunk. Don't ask me questions. Jeez. I mean, it's sad to see and, that, to see someone to be affected that way, I mean, regardless of who they are, right? It's, uh, when people don't talk about it, it's, 
his San Diego Comic-Con panel for season six. He walks in and goes, I just did a bunch of vodka shots. I am very drunk. Don't ask me. Did he really say that? Yes. Oxford Union panel. I have a video of this. He's just, it's, they put out drinks for you at the panel. He's just doing shot after shot, drinking like a fish. And it's, you realize he's, he's been shown up. He's been openly drunk at every public event since season four. And he looks like the telltale signs of, of drinking that his face looks puffy. He does. He looks like a man 10 years older than himself. It's not normal aging. Jeez. And he's, I think he has a Vicodin problem because he's joked about it. Oh, that time at the season two rap party, he got, he thinks this is a funny story. So he shares it all the time. He got so blind drunk at the season two rap party that he shattered every bone in both of his hands. Oh God. He shattered every bone in both of his hands and didn't notice for hours. Jeez. And he was like it in for a week. And like, he'll mention in passing, like this time interview from for season seven. Oh, how do you get through the day? A lot of back problems, so I'm doing a lot of Vicodin. Do you know what happens when you mix Vicodin with heavy drinking, which you're not supposed to do? So it's just, not just twice, it's just Benioff has been falling apart in front of our eyes, and I don't even mean this as a criticism, it's just, to other interviews, how can you not notice there's a human being, he's physically falling apart, and wouldn't the smart thing be like to go on vacation for a year, cover? But he can't stop, because he's got a chip on his shoulder, I need to show off to the much like season five, yeah, we can do all these plot lines and cram them. He can't physically do Confederate and Star Wars, but he's going to try. And because he can't stop, I'm gonna I have this upcoming biography of David Benioff video. Please check out when I eventually finish it in like a week or two of just the mentality of this man of he needs to show off things and he's his whole life and all this stuff. Wow, people can lie with their faces. He is a disturbing individual and con man. One other thing, Benioff mocked, oh, if people, in this other interview, I have a clip of this, you know, if people don't like our show for all the rape stuff, they can just watch something else. There's 400 other shows. There are, what, a dozen Emmy-level shows? Did you know that Margaret Atwood, Handmaid's Tale? I'm sorry, sorry, you broke up a little bit. Did you ask if I've seen Handmaid's Tale? Are you aware of Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale, which won the Emmys? Um, yes, I've, I've seen a couple episodes. I'm aware. Um, they were shopping around a live action adaptation to HBO of another book series. She's done called works and break. I've read the first one of that. That's good. I haven't read the other. They one. wanted to pitch one to them and they passed on it specifically because, well, we want to make Confederate. So when Benioff says, watch something else, you are eating up production that other people. So mm. that is, and Wheel of Time. Well, we wanted Confederate. So, um, the big point... Pause for a second. The big point yes. you wanted to make is... Okay, so that is why they are doing this. Two more things very quickly. Sure. First, the one thing that might throw you is the Jamie Searcy rape scene from season four. That's actually an exception. That was a fluke. That wasn't part of this. They never intended. That was maybe more the director, I think, that messed up that one. Right? I have... And I want to direct your, your audience to watch this more than anything, possibly more than the Stannis one. Well, watch a Stannis one than this. About an hour long. A week, you remember how they played coy and wouldn't even... The worst part was they wouldn't even say, yup, we made a rape scene, but just kind of gave no answer? Yeah, I remember that. Because they never intended it as one. It's just edited very poorly to give that... And it never, even the director never intended that impression. Hmm. It is truly an absurd accident because they were rushing through production. And the Jamie actor said very prominently, I was never told to play this as rape, nor was Lena Headey. 
mean, I have video clips of this. I have transcripts of them when they were asked about it. But they kept everyone kept waiting. Oh, they'll probably admit it in the Blu-ray commentary in a couple of months. Look at yourself in my position running a wiki as one of the administrators. We can't say maybe when it comes to rape or documenting a fictional universe. Yeah. We, we had to make a choice. So I wrote this really, did a lot of research for it over months because they only admitted it was really happening a year later. And wrote, if you go to the page for rape or Jane, the Jane page, the Cersei page, you see link to other page. Okay. Just going to interject so, so we go get the audio. Go to your page uh, and see the no, Jane and I yeah. video on it going, there is no way they intended this as rape. And it is utterly offensive that they, if they, why haven't they just fixed it? Now, remember in season one that they had the George Bush head on a spike? Uh, yes, yes, Bush I do remember that. Yeah. Yep. Why didn't you just edit this for the Blu-ray release? Yeah, because the actors don't play it that way either, right? Later on, there's no reference to it, so they could have well, just edited it. If the if doesn't exist, dub in Lena Headey shouting yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that, that is physically possible, isn't it? But you see, that would be admitting that they screwed up, so they'll never do it. Yeah. So me and not just when I say me, not just the wiki, but I went to there's other language versions like the German version. I went to their administrators and they saw the evidence and they're convinced, dear God, it's just Benioff and Weiss arrogantly refusing to fix it. It's like if I broke your window accidentally and went, no, if I I'm not never going to fix it because if I did, I admit that I accidentally broke it in the first place. Yeah. That it's it ends with. (laughs) Please watch it. If he ends with me going, I demand that HB. I'm trying to start a fan campaign for it. The bare minimum you can we can ask of you. Edit that. What I'm saying is, the bare minimum of effort HBO must do is to edit a goddamn accidental rape scene so it's clearly not rape. This was never their artistic. Even like right before season seven, there was this time.com interview where it was surreal, where it's Nikolai Custer-Waldau and Benny Offenweiss were interviewed in the same issue. And it's Nikolai politely and patiently explaining, reiterating, he said this a year before, this was never intended as rape. I don't know what was going on. And then Benny Offenweiss mocking the rape critics by saying, no one ever really meant that. They're just saying it to take shots at us because and it's kind of mean that rape critics are only complaining about Jamie Cersei because it's mean. You realize every time that re-airs on TV, the wiki adding in Jamie. Okay, we're, we're starting to lose you here. It's, it's got the, we're losing your audio here. I mean, so I, the point is, yeah. as a, we have this disclaimer going, as part of a fictional universe, the wikis, both English, German, whatever, we know it wasn't intended as rape in universe as a persistent fictional universe. The way Star Wars has the story group, this was not rape. You are cowards and, and insulting your entire fan base. And going into the prequel era, you need to re-edit and re-release that forever. Just this is just going to interject so we yeah, make sure so we get. Saying- My point from that, the second point is, why aren't book fan sites doing anything anymore to fight them? That we felt powerless. Now, guess what? There is a mountain of evidence, and if anyone would simply report on it. It would destroy their careers and get us back to what we wanted in the first place, a good adaptation. It is frustrating because it is within our power to fight back. Do you realize that I want Westeros.org to run a review, not even agreeing with me, 
of the Stannis video I made. I want Westeros.org or Tower of the Hand or other major, if you have a Tumblr, if you have any analysis site, Race for the Iron Throne, to run the one-hour documentary explaining the wikis, all of them, are officially saying the Jamie Cersei rape is obviously non-canon. We demand HBO re-edit and re-release it. And if Westeros.org runs that, it'll start trending on mainstream news sources. And then this is how we specifically, how we got the George Bush head edited out digitally. Book fan sites reported on it with citations of, wow, this happened. My hope is that Westeros.org will at the very least run the Jamie Cersei documentary. I've tried posting it in their forums. Their moderators deleted it because you can't post TV show criticism there anymore. It gets deleted for starting an argument. I don't think Elio's responsible. Please circulate my videos. I have already done the research for you. I'm hoping other people can reiterate this raw research better than I can. That first off, they're just showing off the goddamn actors. And the Jamie Cersei thing, I want to hit them on, which is not the same as the other ones. Because for God's sake, that's something we can achieve. We can achieve getting an episode re-edited, even five years from now. I want the book fan sites to do this, even to disagree with me. I am calling out Westeros.org to at least address this. And I'm not trying to make a hard time for Elio and Linda. I respect them and look up to them, and they are our leaders. But please, what was gained from pulling... I mean this for everyone. I want to close on this. What was gained from all the critics saying we're not going to report on the TV show anymore? Did it make Benioff and Weiss go away, or did they suddenly get confederate? Did they get in charge of the Star Wars trilogy? Ignoring them, how many Trump critics are going, wow, we have this obvious evidence of him having sexual misconduct live on video, but it disgusts me so much I'm not going to report on it. Hmm. Critics report on things they criticize. I mean, critics of poverty are not endorsing poverty. Critics of sexual misconduct in the workplace on news sites don't like what they're reporting on. They're exposing it. Yep. What a comparable situation. X-Men comic review sites that hate a comic for being sexist, like I'm fumbling around. The example I'm using is Red Hood and the Outlaws when they hypersexualize Starfire. Okay. Don't not report on that. Report to criticize on it. Yeah. The, the site, like MarySue.com, I agreed when they said we're not going to cover this anymore in protest, but that has run its course. You need to... Help isn't coming. The TV news sites have turned into show apologists who they've just bluntly gone, come on, kid. If we won't keep getting exclusive interviews if we actually criticize them for things. Mm. Looking ahead to the prequel era, we need to start organizing and disseminating this information. The information is there. There is a smoking gun. It's their own Blu-ray commentaries and interviews, which I've already cross-referenced. Um, for your listeners, please, I'm going to send them an email full of links to my various videos that you can see in the description here for what's going to happen. And when I started this, I was just... I... I'm not so naive as to think I have a good chance of succeeding. This is, haha, we're going to change everything. I am probably going to fail, and I see this, I know this is corny, the Mount, northern mountain clans who are fighting the Boltons, Dance with Dragons, who are just going, we'll die fighting the Boltons, and we'll die on our feet. 
Mm-hmm. And I spent a good two years feeling awful about the show. Just after season five, that feeling what Elio felt, that gut punch of, why is this even happening? And I feel so powerless that I feel alive and empowered now just knowing what they're doing. And yeah, it's frustrating. But once you can predict Benny, you know he's going to... Season seven, just I wasn't surprised by the way. No, they're just yeah. showing off the yeah. actors. You have control again, and it feels like doing something. Why do... Um, the gay rights fan blogs campaign against uh, barrier gays, like the 100 kill off a gay character. They know they campaign and they fight these fan groups. They know these comic book industries, television industries, probably aren't going to respond to their criticisms. Uh, race, the race bending for Last Airbender. People in those movements fight, knowing they're not going to succeed or have a low chance of success. Mm-hmm. I want to die on my feet. And I know I'm not going to probably not going to succeed, but I can live with myself and have my dig- the thing I promise everyone is I can't promise you victory. I want you to um, repeat. I just that. want to Maybe interject, and I want you here. to repeat what you just yeah. said. Like that's just that last line because we missed See, it. What I want to tell everyone is if we fight, it'll be hard, and I can't promise you victory, but I can promise that it'll give you your dignity back. That if you're sitting down like ha ha, you're a, a Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones fan. Dorn, you want a good girl, but you need a bad pussy. Ha ha, Sansa rape. Ha ha, Stannis, 20 good men. They humiliated us and took away our dignity. And if you help fight them simply by recirculating these cited quotes they have made, which are a smoking gun damning them, you will take your dignity back. Like I said, when I started out, I meant this as just practically a joke, and I didn't think people would watch my stuff. And then, like, my Stannis video is almost 20,000. I've got a couple of videos of over 100,000 views. And the joke I made was, it's not about saving this show. It's about saving the Dance of the Dragons. I'm not a big Dance of the Dragons fan, so... I'm just going to interject again, because I, I just, just want to make sure yeah, I get all this. Yeah. Was, was saving the prequels, my joke uh, is, hey, we need works, to yeah. take our dignity back, and it's about saving the prequels. And we need to sit down and go, okay, bad things happen. Like when X-Men 3 came out, remember that? Just X-Men movies are dead. Oh, well, God. No. Yeah. It was a bad period of time. But fan sites needed to keep going and planning for on a scale of years. What are we going to do to restructure everything? And we need to realize the prequel era is starting. And are we going to shape it? Or is Brian Cog, who's a funky fan of Just Yeah. Okay. So the joke was, well, I'm like Dumbledore's army. Then I guess we're right here as army fighting to <laughs> save the prequels. And the joke kind of took off. And it's just, it's not a real organization. It is a joke name. But if, when you see at the end of my videos, like, oh, Rhaenyra has an army. It's just, it's a, more of a concept. Than a, okay, and, we're, you're starting to, to taper off again. Join the fans fighting them. We're Rhaenyra's army. I book fan sites like westeros.org like tower of the hand if you have a tumblr need to repeat these video analysis i've done uh my youtube channel is the dragon demands and i'm gonna email everyone a a lot of links this this is why everything in the show was ever changed this is the end to a warped six story that we've had for 10 years of who is benny off who is weiss why are they making these changes they had one trick and it was we're just showing off the actors dorn Alyssa, Cersei in season one. This is why they ever changed anything. They're they're idiots. And when the Emmy voters find out, dear God, they're making rape scenes, they're doing all these crazy white hunt stuff just to pander their actors for Emmy awards. 
the Emmy voters will devour them. This is how we can beat them. Not just how we can survive them, how we can destroy them. We can take it all back. Oh, well, okay. thank you so much. Yeah, well, that's, uh, you're, you're, you're doing done. a starting discussion on these on these issues. And as you said, some people will disagree, but at least they'll be talking about this, right? Uh, talking about this, these new views, looking at the Blu-rays and making their own judgments, right? That's what you want to get yes, to involved. Yes, if you're wondering, like I did, I kept after season five, if there was material where they said something really crazy, someone would have reported on it. No, there's. I haven't even reviewed all the Blu-ray commentaries yet. Crazy things they say in them. If once you get past, you know what to look for. That they really are just. It went over our heads, and they go, "Wow, look at this actor." That's really why they did it. But we are going to fight to save the prequels because Rhaenyra has an army. Uh, I love it. Great. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. Okay, Andrew. How was that? That was. I hope that was fun. I know it's, good. it's going to take a while to edit all the uh, stuff, so it might not be out to because edit takes a while. I don't want to yell at like Ellie and Linda need to do it. Really, no, I, I think it was pretty fair. I mean, you, you, no, you said was... multiple times how you respected them, so I guess no, just yeah, I, I, I just gonna... really think it would change anything. But imagine if Westeros or at, at the very least watch the Jamie Cersei video in the coming week and get back and you just dear God, why isn't Westeros at Ork running this as news? This would get fixed in a week. <coughs> mm. Well, I think the, I mean, and just kind of as the final point, the problem, the problem is, is just like most of the people that would be into what you would say have already just given up on the show. They might not even be paying attention to show content anymore. They've checked out of it because they, I mean, one of our podcasts has quit in season two. She hasn't been keeping up with the show since she, she was, she quit before it was cool to quit. <laughs> did that make Benioff and Weiss go away or did that make them no, more powerful? No, but she doesn't, she doesn't give a shit about Oh Benioff no, there's a she bunch of sexism in comics and they're <laughs> hyper-sexualizing Starfire. We should stop complaining at all and just retreat back to the comics. Where will you run? Where will you run? You condemn the galaxy to darkness if you run. Where will you run? We have to stop them here. We have to make our stand. I like it. I like it. Cool. I can't remember yeah. the rest of the Rogue One speech. I can't remember the rest. Dragon, thank you so much, man. Bye. Bye. Hey, Carl. So I, I, I don't have any time to record in that <laughs> chapter. Yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. Just, just to comment. I mean, that was a bit over the top, but it was entertaining. I think that um, was that was very over the top. But it's I, it, I and while I didn't expect to be here for two hours, um, <laughs> it was definitely um, an impassioned, uh, uh, um, well thought out uh, argument that um, is going to be something something different on our page. I think. Yeah, I mean, we're big about free speech and having discussion there, right? Uh, uh, this will take a while to edit. Of course, I mean, he is—he is a big part of the fandom, and he is a voice for a big part That's of the right. fandom. That's right. He gets, and then he himself said, like, if you disagree with him, great. Like, at least you can have an open discussion about it, right? So. Yeah, and as much as we agree or disagree or whatever, like that's. It's it's part of the discussion, and that's that's great. Yeah, it's basically it's like a theory, really. The way I view it is is he has a particular theory of what went wrong, and then you can analyze it and disagree or agree with it, right? You may, um, it's, it's it's almost like meta, right? It's instead of like looking at book theories, he has a theory of what will happen to the show. <laughs> That's yeah, his theory, absolutely, right? yeah. very true. 
Okay, cool. Good talking with you, and uh, hopefully you get your MP3 recorded uh, fixed for the next time, because it looks like it recorded okay. fine. But Yeah, i got to remember um, to uh, try to figure it out. Yeah. Okay, good night, man. Cheers. Awesome. Good night, I mean, Take care. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three. You're so good. At I'm what not, point did I cut out? Not, not even past twenty. That was fine. I, did, I, I got all that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what to say other than that my computer is crap. Yeah. You've closed every, you, but you've closed everything else like on your computer, right? Like any other programs or stuff that might. And I it? should close Internet Explorer while I'm at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I wanted to come on specifically because Elio came on the other week and what he said about Stannis, and then you said, so that's why I came. But you know all that, so yes, go yeah. ahead. Sure, Carl, are you ready as well, then? Uh, I am ready, yes. Yeah. And then if we start losing you again, I will just mention that, yes. and then it'll reset it and we can just keep talking. Yes. It's all good. Okay, let's go. I'm going to start us off.